Hi, everybody. I'm Dave Haynes. Uh, just, uh, I write a blog called 69. It's a podcast. I've been doing it for a thousand. Yay! I'm almost at 10,000 posts. It's been doing a long, long time. I just want to say a quick word about the DSF. Uh, I was a board member for uh, four years or something like that. I've been really impressed by the work that they've done in the last couple of years when the COVID crisis hit. It was like an existential crisis for the DSF because they lost part of their funding. And I thought, how are they going to go on? And they've done a lot of work. And it's all volunteer work except for one uh, part-time guy, and uh, it's it, they deserve a lot of credit for keeping this thing going and getting a lot of momentum and doing these sorts of things. So, hat tip to you guys. Clap. Come on. <laughs> uh, we have an interesting topic. It's controversial inherently. It's AI. Everybody's talking about AI. A year ago, we weren't even really talking about it all that much. We kind of knew it was out there, but there's, ChatGPT came along, and that changed everything. We could have had an AI expert here, but frankly, we wouldn't know what the hell that expert was talking about. And that expert wouldn't know what the hell we were going on about with digital signage. So it, I, to my mind, this makes more sense to have people who are directly in the industry doing work with it, applying it in certain ways. And we're gonna do this as a panel, talking to these three folks but also want to have questions, and I uh, also want to do a Phil Donahue thing. That's dating me, but I'm old. They let me out of the home. Uh, and just walk around and ask people to share their ideas and what they're doing, because I think everybody's probably doing something a little bit differently. I'm sure we've all farted around with ChatGPT and tried this and that. I, my son did a video of me the other day and had me talking back in Mandarin uh, with my lips moving like I was speaking in Mandarin, I don't know what the hell I was saying, in that, whether it was accurate or not, but uh, I have created uh, stuff in mid-journey and Dali. Uh, my favorite one was asking to do a uh, hamburger drive through and I ended up with cars that had sesame seeds on the hood and tomatoes in the grill and everything else. So it's got a ways to go, but it's getting better all the time. So with that, uh, I wanted to ask the three panelists to introduce themselves, because if I do it, I'll mess it up. And uh, I'll start with Jeffrey Weissman from Navori. Hey, everybody. Um, so quick introduction. So Jeffrey Weitzman, I'm with Navori. We are a global software engineering company um, based out of Switzerland. I, um, I manage our North American office, which is based in Montreal. I've been with the company for about 13 years now. Uh, so we have two product lines. Uh, the first one is digital signage. We've been doing that since 1998, so uh, 25 years or so. And in That's good math. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, in 2018, we actually started development of our own uh, AI product, which is based off computer vision. And uh, a lot of that stemmed from the demand from our customers to better understand who's watching their content, uh, which content is most effective, and essentially the desire to really understand and measure the return on investment of their digital signage networks. So we'll go into more depth about that, but um, looking forward to talking to all of you. Jim Nista. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Nista. I am uh, used to be with Insteo. I had an agency called Insteo for almost uh, 20 years, I guess. And then Almo took that over and worked with them for a couple years, and then I've been independent now for about two and a half years, just uh, working independent as a creative director, and I use AI every single minute of every day, pretty much. 
Uh, Chris Grasso. I'm the CEO of Intersection. We're the largest uh, independent out-of-home company. We're really focused on working with cities and transit authorities. So we do things like the Link NYC program in New York, where we've got 4,000 digital signs across the city of New York. And then we work with a lot of uh, transit authorities uh, on their digital signage networks, which we both provide content, what time your train is coming, and emergency messaging, as well as uh, advertising. So we kind of have three different buckets here. We've got digital out-of-home, We've got digital signage, software platform, and services, and then we've got creative. So coming at this from very different angles, different ideas around it, I, I, a lot of the buzz has been around the visual side of digital signage. So Jim, I'd like to ask you, because you just finished saying that you're working or you're using AI all day long, why and how and what are you doing? Well, you know, it's replaced Google in so many different ways, and it's replaced um, uh, like I use Midjourney, and uh, instead of using a search engine to find a photo, I just craft prompts and come up with a photo that I need. Now, I rarely use them directly. I, I, I don't think I've ever used a, an AI photo, generate a photo directly in my work. But Why? It's, uh, Too much time. Yeah, it might have come from you. I don't know. No, uh, it, it had burger, it had seeds on the hood of the car. No, I, uh, it's just... Um, First of all, the resolution isn't high enough. That's <laughs> number one. But um, it's, it's for generating ideas for me in what I'm doing. And it's for more rapidly getting me to the finish line on my projects. Um, and I do a lot of coding and so in, in my work. So I'm an artist, but I also do coding. And a lot of my art comes from code. And so recently with you know, ChatGPT tools, if I code myself into a, paint myself into a corner, code myself into a corner with something, I can start asking this, you know, machine learning algorithm to help me out and help me out of that mess that I got myself into <laughs> with, with bad code. And so it's um, great tools. Now, it, it doesn't replace, and, and I don't feel it replacing me, uh, and I, I feel like it's a superpower or a super assistant almost that I can ask questions to and get a reasonably accurate answer back way, you know, so much better than what I'm getting out of a Google search engine or Bing or whatever else, right? It's just a quick answer, the right answer. Is it wrongheaded to be thinking in terms of I can use generative AI to produce my content now, that this will eliminate all kinds of costs and time? Yeah, you know, I mean, I could train, uh, I could get a, a, you know, my own machine learning library and feed it 16.9 and then say, I want to write an article in this style, but I'm not going to get you. Not yet. I'm going to get cl really, really close to you, but you would know it's not you. Not just by reading Does it. And a lot of these people in the audience wouldn't. You wouldn't have the smartassery that you have, no. <laughs> not enough Stark. <laughs> Even with 10,000 articles, I, you know, I know it would be very, very, very close, but I still think that we would, you know, smart people would be able to tell the difference. There's smart people in digital There's design? only smart people in this room. <laughs> All of these people would be able to tell the difference. Chris, uh, we spoke before that uh, I think it's interesting that some of the most compelling use cases for AI right now are kind of boring back-of-house stuff. That uh, does, There's not a lot of sizzle. There's, you know, you're, you're not seeing these amazing images or anything else. It's not speaking to you in Mandarin. <laughs> but what, how are you applying it? So I, I think there's uh, we're looking at it in two ways. One is on, to your point, the back-of-house stuff for automating parts of our business. One of the things in the out-of-home industry 
uh, is that out-of-home is very complicated to sell and very complicated to buy. We don't have, in the internet, you have like IAB standard ad units and everything's a 300 by 250. We don't have that. You've got uh, signs are different sizes, particularly if you're in transit. You've got you know different sizes of buses and that kind of thing. So what we're trying to do is first clean up all of our, our data because what ends up happening is the AI doesn't work unless the data is clean. So clean up the data, clean up the metadata. And then once you do that, you can put an AI bot on top of that, your chat GPT. So rather than having, you know, we've got an army of people who do um, me, you know, media plans in very, uh, uh, very manual fashion, you can do that in a much more automated fashion. And we can have those people do much higher value added stuff like talking to clients as opposed and 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 thinking of you know ideation and coming up with good stuff as opposed to doing this a lot of this rote work. So once you have the data right, you can put the chat GPT and say, hey, give me a media plan for the 75, you know, best links to reach people um, who are going out at night uh, for, for for drinks. And that's something if the digital data underneath is really good, that's something chat GPT can do very well and give you a media plan that put out that might take you know, our guys three hours and with the right prompt. And if the data set up properly, could take about five minutes. And that's, that's what we're sort of driving for to automate part of the business. So our, our teams can do much more value added activities than the stuff of the very road stuff. Is that something you had to, you had to hire for or it, it's easy enough to work with that you could say, Bob or Susan or Margaret. You're oh, I do think. This now. Look, we 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 have an incredibly uh, talented team, and they figure this stuff out. I mean, they they they're already doing this. In fact, what was hold what's holding us up is not that the they I don't want to say the kids, but like our you know our, our early tenure people in their career can figure this stuff out. What's holding us up is that oftentimes the data is not clean, and if the data is not clean. The algorithm doesn't work. So that's the hard part is getting your data and your metadata all clean so that you can then apply this stuff and it all work really well. And the AI can even help that a bit as well. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. So it, it, over time, you can even start to clean the data, so to speak, or harmonize it. Right. I mean, I think, you know, an example I'd like to give is, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the more static part of the out-of-home business, there's this thing called a two-sheet. You know, it's like a... And, and, you know, we had two sheets listed nine different ways in our database. We had two dash sheet, TWO dash sheet, uppercase T, lowercase T, you know, and, and you, know, you could do that manually. But again, what's great about the AI algorithms, they can start figuring that out for you as well. So that's part of our data cleanup exercise. But I think the people who are going to be successful with AI, it's, it's not, the chat GPT is probably the easy part. The hard part is getting your data and your metadata in a clean, clean way to be able to use it effectively. And writing good prompts. And writing great prompts, for sure. Um, but once you do that, you can do really cool things. Like we have to, when you do mocks, we can say put a Coke ad on every bus we have uh, for, for mocks, for an advertiser, every type of bus we have across the whole country, you press a button and it all comes out. And that, that type of thing is the type of thing that's going to save people a lot of time. But even the, 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 the whole idea of having prompt engineers is kind of going away from what I understand because the, the, the engines, the front ends are getting smarter where you don't have to be as precise about your prompts. I don't know. Like mid-journey is still really geared towards nerds. Yeah, yeah I think it's a golden, you know, it's, on the engineering side, you know, jury's out and how it affects engineering. If you're a product person, this is the best thing that's ever happened because you can, you know, start rapid prototyping really fast using these tools and not have to like go to, you know, work with your engineers. As a product person, you can do whatever you want really quickly. Jeff, we were talking ahead of this about uh, 
you know, whether it's back house, front house, and you're saying your customers are using it in the field in different ways. And you, I, one of the interesting use cases was, uh, I think, around QSR. Sure. If, uh, if folks, if you want to chat, could you go outside in the lobby? Hello? Guys, if you're going to chat, can you go out in the lobby instead? Thank you. Yeah, so typically we see a lot of different applications. So Navori being a CMS company that touches a lot of different verticals, the demand and the use cases for AI does vary quite a bit, whether we're in banking, QSR, retail, or different segments of retail like a big box or a C-store or a QSR. So obviously there's the main ones which are data, um, measurement, and smart content. And you know, we'll talk more about suggestive selling and how to leverage that data in a little bit. But QSR specifically, we've seen some interesting cases where imagine you have a drive through lane and there's a, a Y uh, at the point where you have to go to make your order. So at some point, the wrong vehicle could approach the cash to make the payment uh, before the other car. And for certain QSRs, the ones that are large enough, the financial impact of that, they did a study, is extremely significant. So they actually want to have a signal sent so they know that the right car that placed that order actually is the one that advanced and not the one that rushed to beat the other vehicle. If you've ever been in a wide drive through lane, uh, you would understand. So that's one use case. Um, also... Uh, timers in a drive-thru are very expensive. So anything that can track and time a vehicle through that process is a huge benefit to a QSR. Uh, we're also seeing demand to understand what's been put in, if the correct order has been put in the bag. Uh, so definitely multiple use cases there beyond the simple fact of actually detecting the vehicle or understanding if that vehicle has been there before and then using that data to maybe upsell or suggest another item to that customer. Um, and at the end, it all comes back to a collection of data and the ability to then take that data and correlate it to other data, such as POS information, and use that in as close to real time as possible or analyze it to track trends and then use that information to improve and enhance what you're doing. One of the issues with AI is this whole idea, and I think somebody was talking about this, how capabilities go up and down. It's, it's really good, and then it's not, and everything else. And there's, there's an issue around trust as well. So how do you work with your customers, all of you, to uh, ensure that what you're pushing out and putting out and, and using is accurate and not hallucinogenic in some way? <laughs> So I think in any emerging market, there's an element of trust, and AI is something that's new. Um, if you think of our digital signage space, uh, eight years ago, people had a lot of questions. Is it working? How do I know the right content's going to the right screen? What type of monitoring tools do you have? Today, that's all table stakes. Uh, CMSs and platforms have great ways of knowing what's on the screen, what the screen status, is it up and running, is it playing the right content? Um, and now they've gone to the next level. How do I make sure the right person is viewing that content? How do I measure it? How do I understand that audience? How can I improve that content strategy and do something better? If I have 10 campaigns, how do I know which one is working the most to increase my sales revenue? So I think the answer to your question is it's an evolution based off the life cycle of AI within the digital science space. And I think it's still young and it's something that is in a emerging or growth stage rather than the digital signage market itself, which I think most of us would agree is probably maturing at this point. Mm -hmm. Is 
part of what you're doing, we, we, we did a podcast a few months ago and talked about hyper-relevant content. Is AI part of that or is that just rules? Um, I think I think eventually AI becomes part of that. Um, I think we use a lot of rules based stuff today. So you know what time your train is coming on this particular block or this particular train station. That's all rules based. Uh, you know sports scores, weather. You know we've been doing that for years. That's all rules based. I think where the generative AI starts becoming much more interesting is around creative optimization and creative um, customization. So, uh, what does that look like? Well, if you think about, say, the Link NYC network, we've got 4,000 digital screens. If we wanted to, say, we're working for a QSR that sold coffee, you know, we could have a coffee cup on the screen and we could design that coffee cup as a human will design it. But what if you wanted 500 different coffee cups? What if you want to have the coffee cup for Madison Square Park should look a little different than the coffee cup for the Upper West Side that should look a little different than the coffee cup around Yankee Stadium? And if you put all that, into something like a mid-journey to figure out what is the right coffee cup for this neighborhood, you could get all that out, and that would be a really cool campaign, and we have a product that we're talking to advertisers by doing some kind of mass customization. That all being said, and it gets back to the trust point, I wouldn't put any of that on the screen unless I had a human being take a look yeah. at it. But the difference is you have a human being take an eyeball of 500 or 1,000 of these and circle the 500 you want. And that makes sense, oh, yeah. but there's no way, because you're getting proofs yeah. or like logos, that kind of thing, but there's no way I would ever put anything on a screen that a human hadn't looked at that wasn't rules-based where I know where the feeds are coming from, because mm -hmm. it's just, it's too risky. And, and, you know, all you need is one picture of like a off, you know, you could totally destroy your brand with, with one, one, bad, mm -hmm. one bad picture. Jim, we saw at, at Infocom and other trade shows like that, all kinds of video walls where they're doing variations on Rafiq Anadol's... Uh, <laughs> AI-driven art, AI-generalized data yes, in some yes. way, and it's swirling, oozing, and pushing in and out, and all, yeah. all these things. I, it, it, it was super cool when it first came out. It, it almost seems like a bit of a commodity now. Yeah. Uh, well, it, do we have to get beyond that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's what I'm getting asked for, right? So when I would do a video wall a couple of years ago, you know, they want stock footage of you know Boston fall, and then they want winter, and then they want spring, and then they want summer. That was their ability the client's ability to really kind of dream. And I, if I wanted to push more out to them, they might just come back to what they saw. So I think one of the things that an artist like, like Rafiq Anadal has done for the industry really has to open everyone else's eyes. So now I get, how do we do AI on our screen? And um, one of the ways that I'm doing that is by putting a camera on that screen and watching the people go by and having the artwork being generated by who's in front of that screen. And so I, it's, it's more, I'm not using MidJourney. I'm not using ChatGPT for that. I'm building my own little mini machine learning algorithm within that you know, media player that is now looking at all the people walking by and creating a, a scene based on, creating art based on what it sees. And so, so what that's, does that look like? Well, you've seen a lot of my work is very floral-based when I'm doing that kind of stuff, and clients are very interested in my flowers all of a sudden. So a lot of the artwork that I'm doing is, like that is that the colors of the flowers are being generated by the clothing of the people that are standing in front and viewing that screen. And so they don't, they might, they have to read the little placard to understand that they are responsible for how that art looks. Um, I'm not putting words on the screen or whatever else, but it's, um, you know, it is essentially a little machine learning algorithm. It's using a, a tool called TensorFlow. And so it's running its own little you know, internal. So I don't really have to worry about something weird coming out like tomatoes on the grill because I never taught 
my algorithm anything about tomatoes. I just taught it about flowers, and I taught it about the colors, and I, I used the, uh, uh, basically a library of computer vision to see the, these people and understand what it's looking at and understand what it sees all day, right? Because that camera's just pointing out at the lobby, so it sees a, a picture of the lobby all day. I don't want it to generate flowers based on the chairs it sees. So it's extracting that, what it's normally seeing, out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I've heard is if you're pumping data into common AI platforms, there, there's concerns around where that data is going. Is it shared? Giving it to Who's going to see it or anything else? <laughs> what are the ways you work around that? Are there, they're like, I, I don't know this stuff. Are there private or walled off sort of? Yeah, you could create your own. Um, but if you're on, if you're using ChatGPT Plus and you're using it for writing, um, and, and uh, so for example, if I did what I said and I trained it on all ten thousand articles from sixteen nine, which it's probably already done. Um, but if I, if I specifically trained it on that, now it knows your voice, right? And so, um, so one of the ways that you can avoid. But does all everybody that, know my voice then? Well, yes, yes, right. I could. I, I don't know if it, world. if it knows you well, and I'll try. I'm going to try that after. Um, but uh, one of the ways you, that I work around this is just to create my own smaller version of that on my own machine, and I don't have you know 400 GPUs and everything else. But um, to really build my own library that's just for me. And so when I talk sometimes about uh, using it to get me out of a a coding nightmare corner that I've painted myself into, that I bought myself into, uh, I've built my own sort of smaller version of that just for coding. That then I'm not worried that when I ask it a question, does my code become part of the big brain or, <laughs> or what? It's mine. You know, it's still on my, it never leaves my computer. So Jeff, how are, how are your customers getting around that? How's Navori getting around that? So just clarify the question. You're saying how are they getting around... Clarify the question, Dave. So you're saying, how are they getting around the the, the issue of worrying about their data and the, the what the, their business data and, and everything else? How's that protected? How is it not being shared by if if I'm QSR X? How do you make sure QSR Y doesn't have access to that data just by putting in the right prompts? Well, I mean, ultimately, so in the signage space specifically, most of the data belongs to the customer, and we could. They have control over where that data is stored, how it's stored, and if it's stored in our cloud, there's a lot of measures in place, and um, there, there's a logical separation between tenants, or we could have dedicated instance for a client, and there's ways of protecting their data just in terms of where and how it's so hosted. Okay. So you, it's a, it sounds like it's a matter of really thinking it through as opposed to just kind of blithely pumping something into yeah. GPT-3.5. Well, in your example of using MidJourney, right, and I don't expect you would actually do that because if you do that, MidJourney images are, are always public. You're right. using Discord to create those yeah. and you're using a public channel. Even if you create your own little private channel in MidJourney, it's still a public channel. Everybody can see those photos and right. not only that, after those photos are created, they go into a library of similar photos so if I created uh, something in MidJourney and I didn't quite like it, I can say, show me similar prompts and go steal somebody else's photo for my, the idea I needed, right? So it's best to wall yourself off if no, you're no. using this in, in, a, in a production environment. No, 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 for sure. And I think, yeah. you know, for the first few weeks, and this is the thing when you have all the random experiments, ChatGPT, it showed up, we have a hackathon and people were already using ChatGPT in the hackathon like right after and doing really cool stuff like two days of hacking. 
Um, and we, our CTO said, Hey guys, whoa. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't know all the details of it, but I know we're, we're also doing the same kind of sequestering yeah, sure. with, with, with our stuff. And, uh, as I know just enough to be dangerous, but, um, we have a good CTO and he was on top of that within yeah. like a week or two when, because, you know, when, when you're dealing both on the developer side, but even on your, the business side and you have people, you know, particularly if you've got 20 somethings in your company, they see this, they're going to experiment and you want to have that experiment. You want to give them the environment to do that kind of experimenting because um, it really drives innovation, but you got to have some level of guardrails and so that you, all yeah. your data doesn't go flying away. There's a whole um, sort of subset of people that look that watch the mid-journey images and then realize that it's a corporation doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and they post it and they go, hey, look what you know so-and-so is doing. And so you really do have to wall yourself off from this. You can't use those tools in production. You really shouldn't. Yeah, then there, there are ways around it. Yeah. As I said, I don't know all the details, but we, we jumped on that within a few weeks. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of this. Is just you, you, If you're going to be doing this, you need to go into it with your eyes wide open and understanding that there are inherent risks. It's super cool what you can get out of it, but you can have a little rope and hang yourself real good. Right. I mean, we don't have a lot of, I mean, we, we'd never do anything with like our personnel data or any personal, da- you know, personally identifiable data. And we just don't have, there's not too much that's that sensitive in our, our business. Yeah. Because I don't want the coffee cups flying all over, but no, the world's not going to end if the coffee cups <laughs> exactly. fly all over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, if I'm uh, listening to this, I, I'm a company and I, I'm looking at starting to use AI what are pieces of advice that, that you guys would provide as to what they need to think about, including what we just said? So I think it really depends on where you're coming at it from. Um, you know, For example, we have our product in about 600 Walmarts, and uh, they use both our CMS and our computer vision platform. And for them, they have different ways of monetizing it, and they basically have uh, three strategies. First strategy is just data collection, and they collect as much information as they can about everyone who enters the store. Then they could sell that to the brands that sell products in their stores, and uh, they get paid for that. Um, The other way they do it is they actually have a big LED in uh, the entranceway when you walk in, and they sell uh, the share of voice, the, the inventory of that screen, so people actually buy to place their ads and mostly to brands that sell in their stores, and they make money that way. Uh, lastly, we, they actually did an interesting test. So uh, this is actually a, in uh, Mexico. And uh, during Mexican Independence Day, what they did is, so usually they actually sell out a tequila very fast. So they have a whole aisle dedicated to liquor, and the tequila goes. So there was some whiskey brand that was very interested in seeing how they can combat the tequila sales. So what we did is we put a little screen in that aisle and um, we would basically trigger a particular message for a whiskey to that particular audience based off of gender and age profile, but it was already an approved content by that whiskey company to check the decisioning and the upsell in that particular whiskey. Lo and behold, their sales went up over 200% in the stores that put that screen in and launched those ads. So there's this real-time element and use case of AI. There's the monetization of the data itself. And then there's the measurement capability so you can better sell and price out your inventory. Jim, any tips? Um, yeah, I mean, it, for me, I, I, I've been thinking about this since 
Beth reached out to me. <laughs> you know, it, it's almost like since it is a superpower, if you're not using it, um, then you're falling behind, right? Because everyone else has access to these tools. And even some of the tools that, you know, are public, like ChatGPT, where you're, if you're using it, you're, your prompts are making their brain bigger, right? Your work is feeding their engine and making it even better. Um, you know, it's still, it still feels like everyone should be using these every single day in their jobs if you want to stay ahead of the curve. Because uh, I, I see a year from now, um, if you know, everybody should be using these tools. They'll be easier to use for sure. I mean, they're becoming part of Google. They're becoming part of Bing. So you're not going to be able to not use them, really. But it's um, it does feel like the uh, that's this genie is way out you know of the bag, and you have to use this. Uh, this is job. not a fad. Not a fad. No, it's uh, it felt like a fad for about three weeks a year ago, um, and it doesn't feel like that anymore. This is the same. This is a to me a bigger shift in economies of scale and everything else than what the internet did in the '90s, what Google did when they first were launched. Yeah, I mean, digital science was really buzzing about cloud about, I don't know, eight, ten years ago in SaaS and everybody yeah. saying we're cloud-based and da, da, da. But this is a giant uh, step forward. This is, this is going to change every single ad campaign. This is the beginning of what we're seeing, you know, what, what everyone talks about with, um, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and Minority, Minority, Minority Report. Report. This is the beginning of that because, you know, it, it's, um, why not? Why, why not have... Uh, a machine learning algorithm feed me ads that are even more relevant to me in my social feeds and on my, you know, on my on my browsers and everything else. Why not have it be deliver more relevance for the advertisers? Well, can we have controversy. I actually don't think the Minority Report world is a world uh, we don't want it. We don't want it. No, I don't think the consumer wants it because yeah. of privacy, right? Uh, and I think so. I, I, I do think there's a how do you go too far? And we, we've the out of home industry has been pretty good that we do not retarget people in public space because of privacy reasons. And you do have the issue of privacy that you have to sort of work through. So I would just say that's yeah. something I just think outside this country. So do you think that that changes based off the application though? Because, for example, a self order kiosk or a drive through, you have a one to one relationship with the screen. Sure, sure. I think if you're in private space, I, I can't speak for private space. Like that's private space, and private space should do whatever private space makes sense. I do think there's a difference in public space if you're going to the train and seeing retargeting. I think that yeah. You know, I mean, I can see an interactive kiosk where you've put in some sort of personal right. data, and now it's going to feed ads yeah. back to you in the same way that that Google that and Microsoft are doing, the same way that Meta's doing, right? So we're Meta, Google, Microsoft are already using these tools to improve the relevancy in our feeds that are on our private devices, right? Yeah. On our phones. I, I agree, and I hope that we can stay away from this in terms of the public ad space, but what's going to happen outside this country, especially in you know other countries where they really don't have the regulations that we have here relating to advertising? Yeah. I think it, you know, if it can be used for dangerous things, it will be. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can't speak for other countries. Of course, We're only in of the course. U.S., but I do think the... The minority Here, yeah. poor world is, is something we've, you know, even before the AI. I do think that what was interesting, you know, when you opened up ChatGPT, I felt the same way I opened when I first opened like a browser. Yeah. That, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you can actually do with this. So I do think there's a huge amount of, you know, opportunities. And the, the two areas I think are the biggest that I'd recommend. One is getting the data right and getting your data clean, as I said before, but also looking at your data on where you actually have data assets that you didn't think you had assets before. 
We have a million photos of proof of play of all the ad campaigns we've run for the last 10 years, which are photos of almost all of New York City and many of these other cities. That's an asset that we never would have used, but you know, you can overlay yeah. the LM models on that. So that's one one area. And then, you know, what I've been really impressed with is a lot of these vertical SaaS companies using AI. Like um, literally we were fooling around with a video and I looked at I think it's Pictory. Mm-hmm. And like you could magically make a video that was actually pretty good with stock photo. I mean it wasn't like oh, yeah. professional no. level good, but it was good enough. You can make Dave speak Chinese. Yeah, and, and, and you could do this stuff in like 10 minutes, yeah. and it costs like 10 bucks. So I do think a lot of these vertical AI-driven tools um, are going to be really helpful for businesses. And I think what's going to end up happening, you're going to see a lot of new businesses emerge that are AI-driven for these AI tools, and they're going to be built with like 20 people. And you're going to see massive SaaS companies based on like 20 or 30 people. And I think that's something that's going to be very interesting to watch how that, that plays out because you don't need a lot of people to do really cool things on this platform if you have the right people. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's double this up. Uh, if you have questions for our panelists or if you want to share something that your company's doing that you think is really relevant to this conversation. Tony, hang on. I'll give you a mic. You can't, I can't make any promises. Um, so I think the last time we were at Google for coffee and controversy, um, the big thing with analytics was the consumer, the customer, the end user, everyone involved was afraid of that technology. It was new, it was different. We didn't really know what it was. Do you see that same trend with AI? And I'm going to say it's actually the Terminator, not Minority, minority Report. But it's learning machine, so is that a concern for the public as we kind of move forward? I think anything that can be used for good can also be used for further evil, and it's just our choice to use it for the best good that we can, right? I mean, this is there's. Let's see see what happened in the last ten years with social networks, where they were able to you know tune elections in this country, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to get worse next year, and. You know, we have to educate ourselves as, as viewers. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think AI's already done a massive amount of damage with machine learning. And you look at, you know, how things have worked out with, like, teen, you know, teen girls and depression based on some of the social media. Yep. And that's driven by AI-driven algorithms. So it's, to your point, it's already yep. here, Jim. Oh, it's already, doing bad dangerous things already things. happening. And yeah. AI is going to be the same way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And ultimately since it's there and we're able to use it and we're able to track trends and we're able to understand what's happening in the physical spaces and better target content to the audience, it's happening one way or the other. So it's up to everyone to look for ways to use it in a controlled way and and not let it get out of hand. So, and that's why there's agencies dedicated to protecting personal data like GDPR. There's uh, regulatory bodies, different states are passing different laws about personal identifiable information, so um, it's a great question. Question over here. Hi, guys. Uh, Deacon Bell from BSV Displays. Um, question around kind of creative. I think that uh, that's, you know, a sense of the AI. You know, we're creating, I work in digital out of home, the public space, the, the, the canvas for these messages. Big fan of dynamic creatives being tailored. But then how do you guys see AI really playing into the creative nature too? I mean, there's so much creative IP, right? You come into a brand, an agency for that IP. You're going to Dave for his opinion, his brain. How do you guys really see AI playing <laughs> playing into that? Or is that really challenging 
the creative agency and the, the strengths that they have for, for potentially brands? I, I used to have a creative agency. At one point, we had 35 employees. We, I, just me now, yeah. right? <laughs> and, uh, Is that better? Uh, no, yes, from a life balance. But um, I, um, uh, you know, I used to have to give tasks to people that were like, research a whole bunch of photos, which I didn't want to give them. And now I can give that to a machine. And a machine will do it better than they would have. And, you know, I can just have them, you know, I have a creative employee be creative. So I think for the agencies, it's another superpower. And if they're not using it, that's still it's silly. You know, the, yeah, I agree with that. I also think um, the IP questions are really interesting. And if you even think about things like the writer's strike and the actor's strike, a lot of that's being driven by who owns derivative works of IP, like who owns the likeness of Harrison Ford or a, an extra shoots one day and then you can do things with it. And, and I don't think any of that's been figured out yet, but someone's going to have to figure out what derivative works in IP Look yeah, like you know, in AI. it's going to be a there's going to be a gnarly thing to sort out. There's an interesting thing coming from OpenAI with Dolly three, where they're building like a Spotify model for royalties. Right. So if an artist is willing to be part of that library, um, then they can they're going to get paid royalties when their name is brought up in a prompt. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge huge opportunity. Yeah. So there's a certain expectation when you use AI where you can just kind of log in and ask it questions in a real-world language capacity, like I want to see a picture of a skeleton eating an ice cream sandwich, and it gives us a skeleton eating an ice cream sandwich. How much do you think that is going to drive user experience in software of other kinds that aren't necessarily consumer-facing but more business-facing softwares? That's a good question. That is a good question. Or like Salesforce, where it just where it just figures out what you know your next contact should be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that it's, it's it's a good question, Kim. I think the um, I think a couple things. I do think you're going to see all the copilots, and I think the copilots are going to be a key piece of work and going to save people maybe thirty, forty, fifty percent of their time in Google Slides and 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 that sort of thing. And then and then I agree. I think when you look at things like Salesforce. Right and customer acquisition, which is a big thing. You know, we do, and a lot of people in this room do customer acquisition. You start to think, how do you um, optimize that? So, when do you email people? How do you what, what do you email them with? What do you send them? And there's a great. I don't know if you guys ever see the Marketunist cartoons, um, which are really good. There was a great Marketunist saying, "My AI agent, you know, read your AI agent's cold outreach, and we should have a meeting." <laughs> so I do think there's going to be a, a lot of that, um, a lot of that, and it'll be interesting to see what people like Salesforce do. And you know, you, you, your real question: Salesforce is so entrenched. Is there some group of people going to create the next CRM package that's AI native AI, and all these guys get di displaced? I don't know. I mean, because data is really valuable, and maybe you don't want to pour your data, but there, there's an opportunity for sure. And that's what I mentioned before: these AI-driven SaaS companies are, are going to come in. And, and I would be nervous if I was running a more traditional SaaS company right now that someone's going to come up with a better idea that's cheaper, that works better, um, and that's just much cheaper. Because it's just like a paradigm shift. It's kind of the same thing with the internet. You know, People got paper catalogs. The internet happened. Paper catalogs had to like change and shrink and maybe go away. And the internet, because the internet's just a better way to buy things remotely than a catalog. As... Uh as AI is still pretty new to all of us, um, so much to learn, so much capability. How do you keep yourself 
uh, up to speed on all of the capabilities and uh, things that you can use, not only from my world as business development or the sales side to your world as content and, and all of that. Uh, any advice? So for us or for me personally, talk to a lot of different people and see how they're using it. You know, um, I was talking with a large uh, company that basically everyone uses their tools to create content and they're looking at using AI to, similar to Kim's question, to figure out easier ways to create um, different pieces of media quickly and in a way that's automated. So they need to ingest a lot of data. And then the question becomes, how do I get that content into a digital signage network? So traditionally, they use this for things like websites and mobile apps. And then digital signage becomes the next natural output for that. So we start discussing ways, okay, how can we ingest that data? And then also we need to then be able to, in our system, know, okay, what is that content and which type of audience wants to see it? And then be able to target it accordingly to the right screens that have that audience. So I think the answer to your question is look around. Like I gave you the example of the QSR earlier. This is the example of someone who's more in the content creation business. Uh, The example of the retailer that wants to monetize. So it's really going to come down to who are you trying to target and what's your business. So how do you get better using AI? And also just, you know, when you get back to your desk, just type into ChatGPT, what tools do you need for your job? And it'll come up and tell you. I know, not, not ChatGPT, because they had a cutoff, but um, Google and Bing are, are, don't have the cutoff, so they'll tell you. And so. I, I agree with that. Like, just play with the tools. Yeah. Like, you spend 20 minutes with some of these things, some of these SaaS things, sign up for the free trial, it's like, wow, and you just totally opens your mind on what these things can do. So I've been on the end user side of this thing forever, still on the end user side. As someone who's on the end user side who uses digital signage, who contracts with out-of-home companies for content and everything else, who is going to create the guardrails for me to rely on? Or am I relying on an AI guardrail to tell me what I should accept, what I shouldn't accept that's going to run on the screens that are on my properties? We're going to be relying on Google and Facebook and uh, Google Meta and Microsoft. It's off. Oh, it's on. Uh, we're going to be relying on uh, Google and Meta and uh, Microsoft for a lot of what we're dealing with these days for guardrails. And whatever they want to put up is until the, the governments catch up. I think it, it points to picking, and you've been a great partner for us in many places, picking a partner, p- partners who can actually help. And I think whether it be the ad concession people, it's like our resp- just like it's our responsibility to manage the rest of out-of-home advertising, we got to make sure that we always have stuff in the screens that's good. And I think there's opportunities for, for all of the digital signage ecosystem to, to help manage this as well. And maybe the DSF should, you know, think about standards a, a, as well on this because I think, you know, the, the industry should self-regulate. And I think to the extent that the industry can provide their partners whether it be manufacturers or operators or software companies, it'll just make deeper partnerships with the, uh, with the partners and you'll really help solve uh, folks' problems. So I'd say that we should, as an industry, try to figure this out together and not leave it to Google or Facebook. <laughs> I think we could go or the on. government. We could go on for a very long time on this, like days, I think. But uh, we have a hard stop at 8. There's an open bar. We don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> But also, uh, make sure you check out some of the uh, product vendors here as well, see their demos, and uh, thank you guys for doing this. Uh, Very, very insightful. Thank you so much.